0: Welcome everyone to the Spacebar podcast. How are you all doing? I hope you've been well. Thank you for joining us tonight for episode number 13. And uh, this week's episode, we're going to be focusing on a particular vertical in retail, which uh, us at Spacebar, it really stands out. It's something we're really passionate about. And uh, that's the home and garden sector. Specifically tonight, we're going to be talking about um, acquisition, conversion, and retention strategies in in the home and garden industry and kind of how that differs to other industries. And to discuss this topic tonight, um, I'm joined by uh, the head of data and insight at Space48, Oliver Lees. Um, I'm also joined by Claudia Dietrich, who is the senior partnership manager at Cleavu. Claver, uh, uh, on for those of you who don't know, or they're an AI-driven product discoverability technology company. That sounds quite a mouthful, but basically the it's, it's technology that's aimed at helping customers kind of find the products they're after more easily through whether it be search, kind of category merchandising, and, and kind of product recommendations as well. And uh, finally, I'm joined by Mike Murray, who is the founder and managing director of Land of Beds um Blender beds are a multi-channel retailer of beds and mattresses in case you hadn't guessed from the name uh, Lander beds kind of says it all um so we're going to be getting a bit into uh, mike's business and kind of what they see um so good evening to you all it's a pleasure to have you on tonight on the spacebar podcast so welcome Before we get into the main part of the podcast though, um, we always like to do a bit of a quick fire round of questions to kind of get to know our guests and get them to settle in a little bit. Um, Ollie has been on this podcast before, but you're you're not going to get escaping it again tonight, Ollie, you are going to have to go through this again. So Mike, I'm going to start with you first. What was the first album you ever bought?
1: Gosh, uh, probably something from maybe Oasis, Uh, What's the Story, Morning Glory, pops in.
0: Is this going to give us an indication to your age, Mike? I was going to say, I also said what format was it? Was it on vinyl? Was it on,
1: uh-huh. No, it's CD.
0: Okay. Okay, Oasis, fine. Um, when it comes to TV and movies, are you into comedy, crime, or horror? Uh,
1: def- def- definitely not horror, uh, but I do like um, thrillers, so crime. But I also like comedy, so yeah, probably for thrillers would probably be uh, the one for that.
0: Okay. The first restaurant you'll go to when you're out of lockdown?
1: Um oh gosh. Um there's a fantastic little restaurant in Progyon. Um it's outside Chester. Um called Next Door. Um that's, that's it, that's it. That's probably mine and my wife's favourite restaurant to go to, so really looking forward to getting back there.
0: Not long to go, hopefully. Although you have to sit outside for a little bit for the first few weeks, I think, but yeah, not long to go. Yeah. Uh, and finally, um, football, cricket, or golf?
1: Um, well, I love football. I um, love watching football, but uh, I think if I had to pick a sport, I'd say golf.
0: Nice. Thank you. So that was easy enough, wasn't it? Yeah. These okay. get, they, they get progressively harder, by the way, for the rest of the game.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, Claudia, I had to ask you this one, knowing you as well as I do. Um, what's your go-to hangover cure?
2: A mimosa. <laughs> Hair of the dog.
0: <laughs> More alcohol.
2: <laughs> Is that, yeah, I, I feel like you I mean... can, can take the edge off it. A little bit of Prosecco, a little bit of orange juice, uh, and also a Nando's as well. A Nando's and a mimosa. Sort me right. First
0: me food. I was thinking McDonald's or something. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, the first gig you ever went to?
2: Ooh. Could have been steps, you know, or S Club Seven. <laughs> it was one of them. <laughs> but I'm making you all feel old. <laughs>
0: um, oh. I'm just laughing at the difference that Mike's was like Oasis and yours might have been steps. Like I don't think you can get much <laughs> further apart.
2: Yeah, I think, it, I think it was S Club Seven. You know, yeah.
0: Right. Okay. Random. Um, <laughs> um, run, cycle, or walk.
2: Oh, well. I would have said run, but then um, I've hurt my foot this week, so I'm now going to say walk. But normally it would be running, uh, but I've not been able to do any exercise for the past few days. Um, so, yeah, running, but, yeah, I can't do that at the moment, so walking. I've,
0: I've seen you smashing up the bike rides on Strava, Claudia. No, is that not it?
2: Yeah, but, like, it's only uh, – I don't actually have a bike. I get one of those Boris bikes. It's a little bit embarrassing to use one of those. Um, okay. But some of my friends are quite into it. But yeah, I say running or walking. Yeah.
0: Okay. And the similar questions, right? I asked Mike. But what was the last restaurant you went to before lockdown? Legally.
2: Oh, when when did lockdown? Was it December?
0: No, it was the last. What was the last restaurant you went to and ate actually ate a meal out at, inside? That would have been with us,
3: Claudia, wouldn't it? Hawksmore a year ago. No, she's been out with me since then. All <laughs> oh, right. Okay.
2: We're not meant to tell anyone, big um, <laughs> didn't go to the Shroom at all. Um, I think it could have actually been Nando's, you know. Yeah, I love Nando's. I love Nando's, <laughs> <laughs> I Nando's I spoons. Um, yeah, nothing too fancy for me.
0: <laughs> cool. There you go. All done. Thank you. Thank you. And lastly, Ollie. There's no hard ones in here, really, honestly. Um I said that last time. It was fine. Treadmill, cross trainer or stepper?
3: Oh, uh, cross trainer.
0: Okay. What was the last box set you finished? Even if it was streaming included. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, yeah that right. means an old school terminology. No one watches DVDs anymore. Let's face it.
3: Yeah, uh, superstore.
0: I have no idea what that is.
3: Perfect. Was it on Netflix?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. What kind of what kind of show is it?
3: It's it's a little bit like The Office, but it's in a it's based in a like a big superstore in the US. It's great. Interesting.
0: I'll give that a go. Thank you. Um, if you could spend the day with any celebrity or famous person, who would it be, and why?
3: Uh, it'd have to be Michael Jordan. I used to play basketball when I was younger,
0: so uh, gotta be that. Okay, maybe have a one-on-one with him in the court. Maybe, yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the last one: um, sticky toffee pudding, apple crumble, or cheese board.
3: Oh man! <laughs>
0: can I have a, Can I have a mix? No. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, do i get some wine with it if i have the cheese no ollie i'm just actually pick from food
0: don't <laughs> complicate it sticky toffee pudding then
2: i would have gone my sticky toffee as well it's so good isn't it
0: thank you see that was easy just to, just to ease you in um thank you for that hopefully everyone's got a bit more of an insight into you guys now uh, and what you actually get up to outside of your uh, working lives so thank you um so Home and Garden, we talking about tonight. I guess, why, why are we covering this particular vertical? Um, I mentioned at the top of the, the podcast, we at Space 4 is a, is a big vertical that we really focus on. Um, but I don't know about you guys listening out there, but um, whenever I go to a talk or watch a webinar or hear some kind of tech company pitching their product, no, not talking about Clearview here particularly, but any techn- technology company in general, like they constantly refer to fashion sites and use cases or case studies around fashion. And like that's like, not every industry is like that. And there's nothing wrong with fashion, but I think the buying journey for like buying a dress or a shirt or a pair of jeans is like so much different. If you're going to go and buy like a sofa or a kitchen or TV or in Mike's case, like you know you go sell beds and a mattress, etc. And like those like kind of products that I would class as like considered purchases, you know where you're going to spend a lot of time researching before you go and actually buy the product. So from like an acquisition perspective and conversion retention, like you can't use the sound kind of traditional kind of methods that you would in say fashion or kind of other you know quick fire quick quick purchases. So I think oh, we, they obviously require a different approach. And I want to kind of get into the today of like what, what some of the approaches might be. And the other reason I wanted to bring Home and Garden into the, into the mix is that that sector for the last 12 months, mainly because of partly because of COVID has been thriving in general, but like digitally online. It has obviously physical retail stores have been shut. I'm sure Mike, you can, you can touch on that. But from a digital perspective online for Home and gardens been thriving. Uh, I think the 2020, the reckon it's going to be up about 20% year on year. So I think it has been doing really well. So it's it's, 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 it's good to talk about it right now. So Mike, I do want to start with you actually on, on this. Um, so for Land of Beds, talk me through like a typical acquisition journey for your customers. Like where do they start on the journey? Like how how long is that journey to kind of purchase, do you think? And kind of what channels would they use to interact with you on?
1: Um, so there's, there's no one easy answer to this, to be fair. it's um, The journey is quite convoluted and um, it can be quite messy. Um, you can have anything from... You know, I do like the term you guys use at Space48, you, you term it you know, uh, considered commerce, and I, I remember when I first spoke to you, um, and you, when you used that term, I thought, yes, that that's exactly what a customer in our space, um, it's a really catchy catchphrase, um, it kind of encapsulated uh, for me, that customers are considering this purchase, uh, and they can consider it from many different angles. So... Uh, Maybe best to give you an example. So if you're looking to buy, I don't know, but let's use the mattress as an example. This may be a distressed purchase. Something, you know, you may have spilled something on the mattress, a spring's just gone in the mattress, uh, whatever. Uh, But you need to make a purchase very, very quickly. Um, Otherwise, the alternative is you're going to be sleeping on the floor. Uh, You could potentially look at it from, you know, a white glove purchase, uh, white goods purchase, you know, a washing machine. Your washing machine's broken. Um, you need to make a purchase quickly but it's still considered it's still an expensive purchase and there is still considerations uh, on that journey Um, but there may only be one or two touch points so you may just you know go onto google click on the first ad um, go onto a website find the product the right budget um, the right specification and um, you know quick delivery jobs job's done. Um, There is other considerations for obviously retailers to consider, um, you know, regarding promotion price and stuff like that. But um, just from a customer uh, journey perspective, it's probably quite short and sweet. However, on the other hand, you have um, a very uh, far more considered purchase. So let's look at, uh, you know, a customer that might be Renovating a house, decorating a bedroom, or or potentially a customer that's got a problem um, that needs solving. So uh, use mattresses again. Um, A customer may have a bad back. um, They're in pain. uh, They need to uh, make a purchase that is very, very important to them. um, And there's lots of considerations uh, for that consumer. Those types of journeys are very convoluted. lots of touch points um, so you know a customer could come into one of our showrooms uh, they could want really good expert one-on-one advice of you know set sales uh, advisor they may go on to forums uh, they may go on to blog posts they may ask questions um, to other you know people in, in, in different communities um, uh, phone us you know seven days a week. Um, so they can speak to somebody on our, our sales line. Lots of different ways and lots of different um, touch points in, in those type, types of journeys, and, and they are quite um, difficult, and, and they've taken us many, many years, really, to map out um, and to really make sure that we are delivering what the consumer wants to help them make that purchase at each touch point. Um, it's quite it's varied. So there's not,
0: there's, there's yeah. no one size fits all. Well. Like, it is a different, again, you've mentioned the distress purchase there, which is interesting, as opposed I've kind of always looked at Home and Garden, rightly or wrongly, as, you know, I see this as the, 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 the long-drawn-up purchase. But obviously, there is, within Home and Garden, there is, again, that, you know, you said the washing machine's broken, example. And I know, like, AO, for example, they go to your place for people to go and buy that kind of product. But even then, for me, like, my washing machine broke a few weeks ago. And I still, even though you know my wife was dying because get got a new washing machine to start getting yeah. to, to with the washing pilot, but I was like, no, we need to buy the right one. We've got to make sure it's got the right energy rating. We've got. To, I was doing all my research, and even though it was, I needed it like quickly. I was still make sure that I went through that process of like looking around. Once I found a kind of product I thought was was good, then going back, looking at the different retails, then stocked it, and ultimately, it kind of then came down to price and service. So you're right. There's even I think with the purchase, purchases, probably still an element because it's a quite expensive item potentially. still going to go and do that research first
1: yeah we we, you know we've looked at the the, the time frame of this and we've worked with different um advertising agencies and different kind of uh, marketing companies in the past and we've tried to look at the um uh the, the the time frame uh from you know this this can be anything from a few days right up to a few months um and everything in between, really, we kind of track stuff up to about, we, we, we kind of worked out from, from um, experience, really, around about 90 days, and then we kind of let them kind of drop out of the, um, uh, the process. Um, but up until 90 days, uh, they're an active uh, potential customer of ours that we'll be trying to communicate to, we'll be trying to engage with, we'll be um, potentially making quotes for, we'll be potentially talking to them on, on a regular basis until they're ready to make a purchase. Um you know, we've got up to 120 days in the past, but there's, there's got to be a point where you've got to kind of move on and stop investing in that, in that type of customer. Um, so, yeah, very varied, depending on what type of uh, purchase you're looking to make, what value as well. You know, we sell products for, you know, um, mattresses for £100, right up to mattresses to, you know, that cost £10,000. Um, so there's, 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 there's big considerations there. It's an interesting, it's a really interesting um, topic. And I think, you know, you've got to try and understand your customer um, and you've got to make sure that you've got uh, staff and processes and um, procedures in place to, to deliver um, value at each touch point, really.
0: Okay, Oli, I just want to ask you a quick one on this. So in terms of like Mike's touch about, there's loads of different touch points there. What differences do you see? in the home and garden space from an acquisition perspective compared to say fashion, Mike's mentioned there, you know, like potentially 90, 120 days, some can be in that kind of funnel for that cycle. Like what, what kind of acquisition activities would you potentially be be different in home and garden as I say to like fashion where you're going to go, and you know, buy a dress or a pair of trainers or whatever, what do you see as different?
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, just seconding some of the things that Mike said, I think that the, the journey to purchase is typically more considered. It's a really good point about the distressed purchases that happen in the home and garden space as well. But um, taking, the, the, the I guess, the core approach to the market, it is often the considered journey that's taken. Um, and I think that what's important there is uh, there's, diff- there's typically more touch points required. Um, so, even though you're going to be using the typical acquisition channels that you, you talk about, whether that be Google Ads, for example, social, email, things to that effect, because they're going to be part and parcel of pretty much everybody's marketing mix. Because what is important in this space is that new customer acquisition is, is a still a key requirement because you don't get the same type of retention in this space as you would in others. So you've got to really go in on and find that new customer acquisition opportunity through the, the, the typical channels you'd expect to be seen at. Um, and then from there, it's about some of the other channels that maybe aren't as readily used as by some other e commerce retails that typically shy away from things like, let's say display ads or video ads, um, just as an example, but they're the additional touch points that uh, the home and garden sector often needs. Um, to facilitate them extra touch points in the journey. But then on top of that, and what I'd actually say is probably more important are things like um, content, because it's about education first. Typically in the home and garden space, there's a lot of education required. There's a lot of decisions to be made where um, a certain solution is is required. So so if we take um, beds and mattresses like say back pain, or are you a side sleeper, are you a front sleeper? Some examples, you've got to research what supports that, you know, what products are right for that. Or if you're talking about a TV, like you said before, has it got the right number of connections? Is it the right resolution? There's lots of different considerations where, as a consumer, because you don't buy them regularly, you don't necessarily know what the right thing is. So you need to do that research. And so the the econ retailers that we see do a, see do a really good job are where they support you the, you, the user, at the top end of the funnel with content first. Um, And that really helps them become educated on that journey. And that content piece by piece also builds loyalty towards you when the time for purchase does come Mm -hmm. in like 90 days time, for example. Um, And then also within that journey, just a final point, I think that the customer data that you can acquire or potential customer data, whether they sign up for your email, Um, or they're starting to take certain actions on the site that you're able to maybe um, see through different uh, tools, you can then start to serve them with the right content at the right time in their journey that's relevant to their, you know, what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I think that you've got to bring all that together. So you're you're nurturing them through that journey with education, but also relevant content and relevant product recommendations and and aspiration and lifestyle elements to that as well uh, because of the type of purchases they typically are.
0: Would you say that... um... Retargeting and remarketing within the home and garden sector when you've got that more kind of drawn out purchase is, is more important than, say, other sectors because, again, you know, that customers, you know, they might be at a very early stage in the you know decision making process doing a research phase. Is retargeting and remarketing more important in this particular sector? Not more important, but is it used more prominently to think in, in this particular sector? Yes, I think it is.
3: Uh, that's a good point. Um, I, I, I omitted that one. So yeah, good spot there. But, uh, it is. It is really important to to focus on on the remarketing side because because of those multi touch points where they visit the site take a look at some products and they probably got no intention to purchase on that particular journey. And so capturing that and retargeting thereafter with relevant op- options or, re- or kind of reinforcing the products that we're looking at or reinforcing with content that they maybe can then consider to to read as a part of the next step of the journey, knowing mm-hmm. what they previously looked at. So yeah, that's invaluable. Um, and I think that's, that's where you see some of the, uh, I, I guess, what you class as the great retailers in that space doing really well. Um, and it's a combination of all of that. So the, the customer feels nurtured through the journey, but it feels personalized to them. It feels like a, a one, a, not one-to-one, I mean, that's not quite how it is, but a one-to-one type of experience throughout that journey. They feel like they've got a salesperson helping them if they can't then get into the physical store, for example, particularly more recently.
0: We've, we've kind of just, just briefly there's some acquisition activity to get people to the site. I think once you obviously get the customer to come to the site, I guess it's then all about getting them across the line. On that initial journey to conversion, you know, for example, customers go on the site for the first time, they're not sure what they're looking for at that point. Claudia, how important is is search in that journey when customers kind of don't know what they want? And actually, how does that user search then evolve as they get kind of further down that process and kind of further down the funnel? Like, do we use a search choice change? Is that something you see?
2: Yeah, um, site search can be really important, even if you uh, don't know what you're looking for. It can be that source of inspiration uh, for a customer. Um, You can start to surface things like popular search terms and product recs just even by activating the search and not actually typing in a keyword. Um, and these terms and recs can start to convey to a customer what to search for and what other customers are buying. So think of it as almost like a, like a virtual shop assistant trying to help um, a customer on their way. Um and yeah, I agree uh with what you said about um how search terms can evolve throughout a user journey. So a customer might come onto site and start using a very basic search term such as dining table because they don't know specifically what type they're looking for. Uh but then as they type, like we'd start to populate also suggestions around this search. Um, and let's say that customer leaves the site, they come back presuming they didn't buy that product in the first instance. They then might start to be more detailed um, with what they're looking for because they now know specifically what they're looking for. So they might type something more along the lines of like, um, like rattan dining table for garden. Um, so search has to be robust enough to understand everything from just a basic one word search to those more like longer, more complex tail queries. Um, And people who do search tend to be high intent buyers. So um, at Clavy, we find uh, they're around three to five times more likely to convert compared to users that don't complete a search. Uh, So it represents a real opportunity um, for merchants to to be maximizing uh, the search function.
0: Okay, so, so I guess I've always been a passion about search and, especially for again that kind of journey where you don't necessarily start off where you don't necessarily know what you're looking for. I think it can be. I mean, a lot of people go and browse and, and whatnot, but I think you know from what you said, like a lot of people start. Off, I guess it's similar to like probably the acquisition journey from a, from a Google perspective, where you might start off with like like you mentioned dining table or like you know, uh, in, in Mike's case, it might be um, I, know, mat- uh, I don't know, I don't know, foam mattress or pocket screen mattress or whatever. Quite a narrow search term but then as you get further down the line you kind of like start looking at brands or you start looking at particular types of product and you then kind of know i guess you're a bit more refined that
2: yeah um, like a lot of customers like start to like adding attributes into the query so it might be like color might be size might be price point and that definitely comes with um yeah once customers like have an idea of exactly what they want to buy
0: Mike, does that, does that kind of ring true for you, do you think, in terms of what – I don't know how much you, data you get around searching on the, on the site, on the, on the beds, or, but does that sound familiar to you in terms of where customers start off from, like a, I guess, a, a product discoverability perspective and where, kind of where they end up and kind of what goes on in between? Does that sound about right?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, like we said before, you know, because there's lots of different uh, ways customers shop um, – but, yeah, I agree with Claudia that, you know, customers that do you search um, probably have a higher level of intent and probably more likely to go on an order um, subject to whether you've got a good search, um, obviously. Um, I really like what Claudia said about, you know, inspiring customers and giving them options that they may not have even thought of. Um, anything designed to keep them on your side for longer has got to be uh, beneficial um uh, to use a retailer, um, and yeah, I'm sure that's what probably leads to the, the the you know the increase in conversion if they if they interact with good search. Um, so yeah, it's just another really important piece of the jigsaw uh, to ensure that you're giving great service, and that's what it boils down to ultimately. Uh, retailers have to give customers really good service, and if you can understand your customer. Um, and you can give great service, then that's a significant way to uh, winning a sale. And then hopefully, you know, keeping that customer then as, um, you know, a, a repeat customer, lifetime mm-hmm. value and all the good stuff that comes after it.
0: Okay, we, we touched on, and Ollie kind of touched on this before, and I think you touched on it as well a bit, Mike. For some customers who are kind of, again, setting out on that journey to purchase, again, let's take the the longer journeys to purchase, for example. I guess they're more likely to be in exploratory mode at that point. Um, and Ollie, touched about content earlier on um how important is it then you know search traditionally is like you know people go on search particular you know like kind mentioned the kind of dining table or you know mattress or whatever those kind of queries and people maybe there's a product intent there no, or the scorability intent but are they how important is it to like surface content in, in 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 search like what what role does you know content play in kind of aiding the purchase decision i think you kind of touched on this earlier on but you know is it important at that point to understand the user's intent or is it, can you assume, like, you know, is serving content generally quite a good thing to look at anyway? Or is it just looking at time right time and place for it?
3: Uh, no, I mean, I think, uh, like I said, I think content is super important in, in journeys like this. I think, and it, it from, my, from my perspective, it's it's done best when it's done in, in, in different ways. So because of the the content commerce kind of services and, and providers that you've got nowadays, being able to put content within product pages, product listing pages, and vice versa. Um, I think you can surface content at the right places at the right time, because that's where the customer is on your site, for example. So if they're on a product detail page, they've obviously got to a level of interest where they know what they're looking for to consider that particular product. And so the type of content you can surface there can match that that stage of the journey. Um, but I think also the type of content's key. You know, we talk about content, but what does that mean? Does that mean a video? Does it mean a buying guide? Does it mean a um, like a, 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 a like advice guide? Um, and I think that's important as to how that's placed as well. So how how the customer can digest it, so they can take that in at the right time. Um, and does it support where you believe they are in the journey on the site or? do you then also surface content in a wider way so they can go and access that readily and easily? Because there's obviously going to be SEO benefits for that kind of thing. When people look for a solution to a problem via Google rather than already being on your site, can you surface your content that way as well? Um and so that's why the contents so important because a lot of people look for questions to answers and solutions to problems, um, and if you're not offering that up, then they're not going to find you at that stage in the journey. So they're less likely to buy from you when it comes to you know to that actually buying decision. Um, and I also think it creates loyalty. Like I said, I think that if you can offer them advice, just like the traditional, I'm in a store, salesman gives me, you know, looks after me. Um, I'm probably going to be more inclined to try and find a way to buy through him if 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 he's advised me in the right way. Um so yeah, but I, I think content's super important. But I think the type of it is and the way in which it's placed and the timing of delivery, uh, depending on where the customer is in the journey, makes a real big difference to how it's how it's taken in and how much of a difference it makes to the purchase journey.
0: Mm. Cloud, have you seen a bit of a, of a shift in this in terms of our, our retailers now coming to you guys and saying more often than not, you know, content is a really important part of we don't just want to search for again searching the product colour, we want to include you know blog posts or buying guides are you seeing a shift towards that and um also again does the home and garden sector differ in any way in terms of the way that they maybe approach search and kind of product discoverability and kind of making search more prominent like what's your take on some of those
2: yeah i think um firstly i've definitely seen um a shift in the past like year year and a half like clients don't just want to show products anymore in search there's a big focus on content and it's kind of two different types of content. One can either be like, like Ollie mentioned, like buying guides, like, and they'll serve that dynamically alongside the product. So we've got a client, um, who um they do skincare and um they have all different um they've tagged all their products with skin conditions and then they'll surface guides based around that skin conditions when you search for like oily or sensitive skin and they've created this whole like community around it um and they've got like a little forum where you can post what you're searching your skin conditions and um again i think that's a real driver in in the loyalty side of things and then the other side of that is we've seen clients um in like um content links and um, which still hard code within search. So we see this a lot in Home and Garden actually, things like deliveries, returns, um showrooms as well. Um in other sectors we see like uh student uh like student discount loyalty programs and they actually have them static within the overlay and that works really well for a lot of clients Uh, but yeah I I agree a lot more um, retailers uh, want to highlight and expose uh, content in search Um, and then on the second part of uh, of that question um, so interestingly we we actually just did a study of uh, 50 retailers where we looked at uh, product discovery using criteria so we looked at things like mobile, desktop search, looking at voice and image, natural language, um, category page usability. Um, I am going to give it a shameless plug, Elsa. Marketing are going to shout at me, it's called the UK e-commerce discovery report. Please download it later. There's some great stuff in it. Um, But out of uh, the study, we found that home and garden retailers uh, were more likely than any other retailer to make search really prominent on their website. So 75% of the merchants we studied had a full search bar on mobile devices compared to just 50 uh, in general retail. And then uh, they also, uh, Home and Garden, um, they rank really highly in terms of communicating what shoppers can search for in the search box. So over 60% were leveraging some sort of placeholder text, um, saying you can search rich content such as product, brand, and also blog content as well. And it was significantly less in other sectors. So, yeah, all in all, I'd say home and garden are one of the sectors that are really taking note of the importance of product discovery. And certainly at Clayview, we have a ton of clients in this space who really understand the need for um, enhanced merchandising.
0: Was it out of that research? Did you come to a conclusion as to why they're more, I guess, further on in that advanced in terms of exposing search, for example, and, and making use of search?
2: Yeah, I think um like the AOV is a big part of it like um as we spoke about it's like a very considered purchase. It's very unlikely that someone will come on site search for a rat and soul for that cost four grand and check out straight away like it's it's you know it's a considered purchase um people leverage search um to get a lot more detailed in how they are how they're cooling as well um and then also like the visual side of the search as well was a big part of it so uh, being able to pull through the product images, so you can actually see, um, like, see the um, like different types of products as well. Um, a lot of um, home and garden were actually using uh, filtering within the overlay as well, which was quite interesting. So as opposed to having just purely auto suggestions, a lot of them were having filters where you can actually drill down on the overlay and it acts as like a, a search results page so you can drill down via all the different attributes that we would index um and that was something that um was happening more in home and garden than other industries as well so i think there's a lot of different yeah. um, there's a lot of different factors to it but it's a it's definitely a very interesting finding and a lot of um uh, the ranking of um our merchants a lot of the ones in the top 10 were actually in home and garden i think there's about five or six in them that were actually from home and garden so yeah take a read so it's an interesting uh interesting insights in there <laughs> that's,
0: that's that's the uk e-commerce discovery report right just so that, it. Right. Yeah.
2: Thank yeah. You for yeah.
1: highlighting personally from from my point of view that um it definitely resonates with me um and you know we're trying to educate customers like oliver said as well you know the, these customers potentially don't buy these types of products every day um So anything you can do to help and, um, like I said before, assist and inspire, um, it's got to be a good thing. Um, But it also creates kind of, you know, trustworthiness. It it makes you look more authoritative. It makes you look more expertise. And it just keeps the customer more engaged with you. So if you can give, um, you know, I think Claudia mentioned buying guides, um, super important, um, really helps customers delve into the detail. We do a lot of finance or interest-free credit. Lots of people like to find out more information about that. So, again, because these uh, customers are spending a lot of money, they like to, um, you know, spread the cost of the purchase. So that kind of stuff is, is super helpful as well. So, yeah, I can, I can see that being uh, a really good tool.
0: Mate, you, um, while, you, while we've got you, I think one well, thing we want to talk about, and we've kind of got to the... We talked before about um, customers being in different parts of the journey. Maybe again, the, the search service in different types of content, depending on where they are, understanding at what point they are in the journey. Um, is there anything that London Beds is doing um, to help you guys understand where your customers are, at? And, and again, ultimately to get into that process to kind of convert? Are you, are you doing anything around like, customer analysis? Is there anything that you'd like, or anything you'd like to be doing to help you kind of understand again where the customers are in the journey to purchase?
1: Yeah, um, so. Ultimately, we ever get an opportunity to speak to a customer, that's the best opportunity to find out where they're up to. So if we can speak to them on live chat, we then try and encourage them to, 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 to call us or allow us to call them. So we can have a bit more of a deeper, meaningful conversation with them. And then we can look at things, you know, like where are they in the journey? You know, is, is this particular purchase time dependent? You know, because is, is then that can take us down a different route depending on where, when they need something. Lots of customers aren't in a rush, you know, like we said at the beginning, it could be 90 days for somebody to make a purchase. So we try and establish that um, either in store, over the phone or, or on live chat um, to see exactly where they are in this, this piece. Then we can put them into our system and then we can kind of project manage around that. So we know they need um, contacting in a week's time or two weeks time or, or tomorrow. They might need some really time sensitive information. We can get that and then get back to them. Um so so yeah so we do some kind of you know traditional stuff like that mm-hmm. um customers that we haven't spoken to that we're actively trying to target i think oliver mentioned before um you know uh, using um uh, the power of google and facebook and using their algorithms to really go after um, segments of the market that are signaling or, or, or showing um purchase intent signals um, that we can really kind of then show up at the right place, the right time with the right messaging. So we're super re- uh, relevant and, and, and super kind of um, time-sensitive. Time um, and when we've done stuff like that and we tested things like that, um, we've seen really good uh, return on investment. And that's what's really helped us grow through our advertising models. That's what's helped us grow really kind of uh, profitably over the last couple of years because we've really been able to hone in at the right time and the right place. And that's thanks to fantastic tools like the likes of Google and Facebook and um, some of the other um, uh, big marketing companies out there uh, allow you to tap into really.
0: It's interesting you mentioned there, Mike, um, and I've actually referred to you guys before in in a previous podcast that I've done. like the actual communication you have with the customer, actually speaking to the customer face to face. Like obviously there's a lot of automation tools you can rely on, but actually it's nothing better than picking up the phone and speaking to somebody. I remembered when I first started working with you guys and I you know, I think I was just messing around your site, you know, playing around and I'd added something to my basket. And instead of getting an abandoned cart email, I got an abandoned cart phone call. Yeah. Like, what this is this is a, that is this is amazing. You're actually speaking uh, for your customers. Like yeah. I know maybe again there was a reason for you doing that, but actually that was so personal and again i was trying to scale that to the, you know when you're a bigger business is difficult but like that you know, get understanding where i mean obviously i was just a you know i was trying to decide but that that for me you know that's you're not going to get any better data than that speaking to the customers direct i think i think that's brilliant and, and maybe some more retailers could learn more from what you guys do and maybe invest in, in more of a dedicated kind of outbound sales team like that because i, I was really impressed it's not something i've experienced before
1: it's um, it's it's a fantastic tool, and it's something we've 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 learned. Um, you know, we've been in business for over fifty years. You know, we were a traditional uh, family retailer. Um, so I learned, you know, firsthand uh, from the likes of my granddad and my dad and, and, and other people in the business um, how important the face-to-face relationship is in building, uh, you know, trust and, and building goodwill uh, and. It's really important to talk to customers and to understand customers. So, yeah, just a, just a simple concept of, you know, a basket abandonment. You know, these are high-value customers that are ready to place orders. You know, these are guys that are further down the funnel and they're, they're showing the best intent signal. You can have someone adding a product to, to your basket. Now, the way we've structured our our, our system, we've obviously got that information. Um, the sales team can get access to that. We allow them 15 minutes um, but we will then give them a call um, and, and we will just talk to customers. And, and mm-hmm. it, it, it's surprising how well it's received and, and how, you know, customers really kind of resonate that. And then it, 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 it's the biggest way we convert kind of, you know, customers on our site that we can, we don't get to talk to before, um, you know, a quotation or something like that. So uh, yeah, it's super important and it just, it really is fundamental to have really well and uh, educated, um, knowledgeable, um, engaged members of staff that really can sell your brand and, and also can sell the uh, their expertise to help convert customers. Because I think you know the, the the theme of some of these conversations tonight are customers in this space they, they, they need help they need educating um, um, and and they want to trust the retailer that can deliver that so if you can you can get a really engaged member of staff that's expert in, in that field to communicate with them then uh, it, 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 it does cost money uh, but it's an, it's not a cost as such it's an investment and mm-hmm. um, because of the return that you get from it so yeah it is very important that to us
0: that's brilliant Mike. yeah really it's really good to hear about that. And again, I think there's quite a few people can take something away from this. Hopefully not your competitors tonight. But um yeah, wow. it's, been, <laughs> it's, been, it's been really pretty it's been very really insightful. Um I guess Ollie, so I guess go more to I guess touch on the automation side of things. I guess Ollie, once the kind of retailer knows a bit more about the customer in terms of what stage they're at, how can they kind of leverage that data to maybe offer like a more personalized or more focused approach so you can kind of get them across the line and converting? Great question.
3: Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think that <laughs> I think that that's where kind of like the segmentation, personalization, um, automated, like machine learning, merchandising, all that kind of stuff can then be brought together, whether that's like on your site or through key channels like email and social. Um, it's then about delivering from them insights you've got on a per customer basis, relevant touch points like we talked before so now the next touch point they're going to have is it more relevant to them based on what they've looked at what they've what content they've digested and that kind of stuff because you know enough about them and where they are in the journey from that that data that's held within the different systems kind of then follow up with a relevant email that's that's got recommendations and maybe lifestyle aspirational based images and content that that supports the specific um Maybe subcategory they've been looking at versus another customer with you know looking for a slightly different product because it it allows the customer to um, and and like Mike touched on then it's it's to the best of its ability replicating where it can that face-to-face type of experience although it's not it's not really anywhere close to being honest but it's the next best thing you can do digitally um to make the customer feel that you are paying attention to what they're looking for and the help that they need throughout that journey and then if you can do the things that like mike and his team are doing and layer that that personal touch on it then it's a completely different experience but but yeah i mean nowadays as we know with clavu with the email platforms with personalization tools the data that they can have can really deliver a a quite unique experience on a per customer basis once we've got some data on them to make uh, better choices of what to surface to them and what to show them. Um, And I think that makes a real difference because um, the purchase that they're making, they might make once every five years, for example. Uh, And I think that it's really important to get it right in that one journey um, when you get the chance to do so. Um, And so leveraging the data is probably more important um, in a space like this, because if you get it wrong, you miss the one sale that you might have got for that particular customer and if you get it right not only do you get the sale but you've got opportunities down the line Then Mm.
0: it's a controversial question then uh, maybe for claudia is your ai going to put mike sales guys out of jobs
2: (laughs) (laughs) no of course not (laughs) um no i think um i think ai is really good this is my honest opinion it's great it's robust but like what we say to to merchants is no one knows like your business better than yourselves and that's why we also have the tools around merchandising where you can come in and apply your own business logic. So machine learning will pick up on stuff so like I mean ours looks at things like uh, clicks, queries, conversions site-wide and from that we'll start to like programmatically rank products based on um, you know, uh, those products that are getting more exposure with other customers. but if there's a flash sale on or you want to push products of a certain margin or products you've got a high stock level of, we're always going to need that input from a merchant. So yeah, AI is great, but in, in my experience I'm working with merchants, when you combine that with business logic, that's where you start to get really, really good um, good results.
0: Okay, so Mike sales guys are safe for now, right? Until the, your sort of taking over the world, yeah?
2: <laughs> for now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so uh, we've been talking a lot about acquisition uh, the last sort of uh, half an hour or so. I want to just kind of move on to um, kind of retention now, um, especially, again, in the home and garden specter, again, retention for me is, is I've always found this a kind a, of a difficult topic or uh, it's something that's not easily achievable. So, Mike, once you've obviously got, you've converted a customer, and like, how do you actually... Look at retaining customers when, say, somebody might buy a bed or a mattress from you maybe every five or six years. How do land the beds approach trying to kind of get customers back in, or is it a case with you guys? It's like more a case of we'll see you again in eight or nine years' time. How how the land the beds approach retention?
1: Um, yeah, it's a it's a really interesting uh, point. To be fair, um, if the customer lifecycle is long and it, it can be um, for beds and mattress purchases. Um, Do you invest money in um, trying to re-engage somebody that potentially may not order? Um, But, yeah, another five, ten years, whatever. Um, My response to that is always you should absolutely always engage with your customers because they don't just have one bedroom in their house. um, And potentially they may need to make lots of different purchases uh, around, Products that we sell, and this is a great opportunity to sell um, lower value products with high profit margin um, consistently to them during the life cycle of their um, uh, life value of that customer until they make another big purchase. Um, or, you know, just looking very, very specific at some, some of, you know, just look at bedroom furniture, for instance. Um, you may move house, and um, something may be damaged. You might have to replace it. Um, a big one for us is friends and family. So when you buy a big key item of furniture, it's often a key talking point. Um, so you know, I don't know. Last time you you, you may have had a conversation with your mum or your nan or your friend or something like that, and they said, "Oh, I bought a new sofa," or "Had the carpets fitted," or uh, whatever. these are key talking points and then they tend to talk about where they got it from and what their experience was like you know yeah it's fantastic these were amazing the delivery was great you know the, the really easy website to use or the store was great and the staff were amazing um so they're really good talking points so the more talking points you can have about your brand obviously the more important it is the more products you can get inside a customer's house from your brand then Absolutely. So so that, that, that's fundamental. So we should never, ever look at one deal as being that, that, you know, that's it. It should always be, I tend to try and look at each transaction. We, we want to see another five transactions of them right. um, and I try and get all the teams to, to appreciate that. So that's why ultimately customer service is probably the best retention tool making sure you give fantastic service, um, making sure you really deliver on on, on your promises. Um, and then you can follow that up with uh, it's an interesting topic that we're working on at the moment um, in regards to personalization and sending out, you know, really timely information that's super relevant to the customer that, that will benefit them. And benefit their additional, you know, it's an additional purchase which benefits potentially the purchase they've made um, or will suit something similar to what they previously bought. And I think that's where personalization can really help um, after the purchase, as well as obviously before purchase with some of the, some of the stuff on site. Um, but yeah, super important. You've got to think about a uh, lifetime value of customers and how you can tap into that.
0: It's interesting you talked about well, I guess referrals there. I guess referrals in the home and garden industry can be as important as retention. Cause in theory, retention's all about, you know, you want to try and get that initial that initial ad spend that you have to get that customer in that that you know that 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 cost you've got up front, you want to try and get the most out of that. Now, even if they don't come back and buy, I guess if they're gonna tell the friends and family, that's just as important as, as retaining them as a customer, because ultimately if they've referred you you've delivered on your, on, you know, given a great experience, great customer experience. So I guess that is, can be, I guess it can be an alternative to retention in the in, in home and garden set. So I think it's kind of where we're at.
1: Super important. And, you know, again, going back to our roots, you know, when I just observed, when I just used to work part time in, in, in the shop and I used to see people coming back and I often seen customers coming in and speaking to my dad and stuff like that saying, you know, um, Oh, we've been recommended and you virtually always get the sale and, Mm. you know, they wouldn't go anywhere else because they've been recommended. So the power, you know, the the power of that referral is is incredibly strong. Um, So now more digitally, we've got to remember that it's so important. And we've got to make sure that we're we're kind of um, transferring some of the things we've learned as a a, a traditional independent retailer into an e-commerce model. And and never forget that really because it's still it's still what helps you know move the dial really so um referrals super
2: important.
0: Mm. Ollie, um, what do you see in the home and garden sector for like again from retention? What, what kind of approach again do you see home and garden retailers taken for retention, especially where there's more considered purchase?
3: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'd, I'd say uh, what Mike's point there is really really valid. A, a lot of people wouldn't typically associate that kind of thing is retention in that sense like you say Pete. normally people kind of say retention is maximizing number of orders or value from a single customer whereas actually um what's more valuable is that referral approach in an industry that's more considered is is equivalent to retention because you might you might sometimes only get a single big purchase from any given customer but if they can refer five others then it's the same kind of thing um but then to answer your question in terms of more, a more traditional sense of retention on a per-customer basis, then it's all about cross-selling. Um, as Mike said before, it's got to be about that. If, if I am built on selling core products, um, whether that be TVs, bathrooms, uh, beds, that kind of thing, there's always going to be a set of complementary products that make sense for me to also sell. And like Mike said, once you've got that sale in the door, and you give them a great service post-purchase and you can then personalize because you know exactly what they bought. So now you can start to cross-sell exactly the right type of stuff. Um, and taking Mike's example specifically, there's some quite specific products that go with others. And they're medically recommended some in some instances, that kind of thing. So you've got a real clear route to market to cross-sell to them customers. And each time that you're able to do that, it's that incremental revenue in between, but it builds even more loyalty to the brand for each great experience you give them with each purchase and post-purchase, ready for when it does come time for them to buy the next core purchase of the new bed, for example. Um, and I think that cross-sell is, is, it's easy to talk about, but sometimes hard to execute um, if you've not got the right data or you're not tracking the, 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 where the customers are in the journey but more importantly once they have purchased, when's the right time to sell in let's take the lander example someone's bought a divan bed and mattress when's the right time to attempt to sell them side table or bedroom table sorry you know lamp tables or pillows or bedding or mattress toppers um, and also educating them on the requirement and the benefit of those on the journey too um, but when you get that right the, the customer lifetime value probably goes up and even sometimes beyond the initial purchase because they could potentially buy 15 to 20 things from you if you get it right. Um, and that's where I think that you've got to play the retention game. What, we, what you can't look at it like you would say in fashion, if I buy a shirt, I can buy another shirt. It's, very, it's more unlikely I'm going to buy two or three beds unless, like Mike said, I'm renovating a home or, or I'm, I'm due to renew multiple beds at the same kind of time. Um, but I think that, that's key. The cross-selling for me is the bit that really changes it for people
0: interesting
1: it's also super important uh, in regards to profitability um because you, they're coming direct to you so they're not going through the you know the, the 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 expense of marketing and stuff like that to get them into the um into the journey again um so yeah so if you've done your engagement correctly and you've given great customer service um it is it is a really profitable way to to, to get more business
0: i've i've often looked at this and i, I guess I'd be, I'd be interested to put this to you mike in terms of like what a kind of dream customer would look like for you I, I i did an example of this when i was at um, my my former place where I was selling bathrooms that you a customer comes to you you know maybe a young couple comes to you you know first home you know the couple get not married yet they come and you know they want a new bed for the house to move into you go and invest in the bed you know they, they live with it for a couple of years and then they have kids they think actually do you know what now we need to buy a I don't know, kids' bed, a toddler bed, or crib, or whatever. You know, again, they come back to you, and then again, they have another child. The same thing happens, and the kids grow up. They start to upgrade the beds into single beds and double beds, etc. I guess that 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 would be for you guys as landed beds. That would be the perfect kind of like life cycle. And then I guess they may move house later down the line. These upgrade the house. That I guess is that would that be an ideal kind of sort of. Purchase journey for you, I suppose.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right, and that's what uh, we we talk a lot internally, and we educate all the staff about how important every single order is. You know, sometimes we we might get a bit flippant and say like, "Oh, that that was only a mattress worth one hundred and fifty quid," but that's not the point. The point is that customer will then go and spend a lot more money with us on a lot more purchases. And that's why we've been in business for 50 years. We can't forget that. We've got to really kind of um, uh, nurture that relationship. And um, yeah, it's absolutely nailed it then. yeah.
0: Okay. Well, just to, guess, bring this to a close. Um, we've kind of, we've talked from again, acquisitional phases of conversion and retention. Um, I want you guys to just put you on the spot a little bit. If you were to pick out a home and garden retail that maybe you've shopped with in the past um, or you know of, that you feel is kind of getting this right from either an acquisition, conversion, or retention perspective. Who would it be, and what what are they doing that's that's, that's so good? Uh, Claudio, I guess I'll come to you first. Can you think of a retail that you work with or you bought from in the past that really nails it?
2: Oh, is it only I can only choose one? Yes. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, I would have to say uh, Made. dot com. Um,
3: stole mine.
2: I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i'll come at it from like a, a search perspective because um yeah that sounds yeah. good yeah <laughs> you won't say the same thing yeah so they, they've spent a lot of time uh optimizing the search experience across different devices um if you go onto desktop they've got a very centralized search bar clean overlay they show dynamic suggestions, product grid, and they, they have that static block I was speaking about earlier. So they found that a lot of people were looking for um, delivery and returns before checking out. And they're normally like links on a site that can be a bit clunky to find. So they exposed them within search, um, which they found a lot of people clicking on them. Um, and then, on mobile as well, they increased the size of the search bar It was initially hidden in the nav. they made it full width and sticky and um, so it was a very similar experience to to desktop, but they pushed everything like full width on mobile it looked really good, and it's just a really great browsing experience like. All the clients that come to play do absolutely love it and they want to copy it. And then uh, as a result of these like, little optimizations, they had um, a really big increase in search sessions and, and consequently uh, an increase in, in conversion rate as well. So, yeah, definitely check out their site. Um, you'll probably end up spending a small fortune if you have no willpower like myself.
0: I'm glad I asked you about one because I'm hoping now a lot of your other customers are going to get jealous. You've not picked them out, Claudia, so that's probably put you in a really awkward I position. love shopping. Yeah, I gathered that. <laughs>
2: um,
0: well, go on, Ollie. you mentioned made.com as well. So go on, what is it for you that made.com stands out? Well, what's? I think it's the it's like the
3: rounded approach that they take. If you look at the site, they surface content really well. Um, the, the experience from a traditionally common sense of homepage plp PDP the quality of imagery they use the up close images the way the product pages work they've got virtual consultant options they've got design your room options they do a really good job of personalization they do a great job of cross-selling um, you know they're incent- the they incentivized to grab data from customers and I know thereafter they do a great job of kind of following up and and uh, and kind of really bringing together that whole that whole Journey um, and it just it's just—it ticks all the boxes. If you—if you were to look at an e com site, they're doing it. All, they're pretty much doing it all. I'm not saying they can't do it better, but they're doing all of it. They've got reviews, they've got content, they've got great experiences, and um, they deliver great experiences as well as great products. And they replicate that on the channel field. They replicate that off—that that offline experience in a store as best as they can, being a being a pure play. Do you know what I mean? So, not that they are pure play, but they they approach it like that. They treat their website like they they don't want to assume that anyone's going to visit any of the physical stores and so they give you as many experiences as they can throughout that journey and it, it's just it's just a great experience and like Claudia said you end up spending too much then as a result.
0: Yeah. Mike are you going to complete the made.com loving or have you got your own? You know, issues, <laughs> you got your own um,
1: no I've made a fantastic site aren't they fantastic business um uh, there's, there's loads, isn't there? AO, I think you mentioned before, Pete, they're um, a really good business. Uh, their website's really good. Um, their logistics is fantastic. Um, I, I think there's – well, I'd probably like to um, mention some some kind of independent retailers, really. Um, mm-hmm. I think they've obviously had a really tough time with it over um, over the last 12 months, Um but I think it's really helped them refocus their kind of uh, e-commerce models. Um, and I think they're going to... Oh, Jesus. Yeah, that's, my,
0: that's my cat everyone, by the way.
1: <laughs> Cat's hungry. Um, <laughs> I think they've, they, At they've least my of, dog's
3: not barked. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think the independent uh, retailer has, 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 has definitely had a tough time with it. I think they've had chance to kind of... Um, uh, re-envisage their e-commerce business models um, and I think they're going to they're, they're going to surprise a few people I think they really understand their customer so I'm, I'm a non-exec director of a company called AIS which stands for Association of Independent Stores um, they're a really big buying group, uh, they collectively turn over more than £2 billion a year um, and i have in a privileged position to speak to lots of um, good um, excellent retailers in that space and I think if they get their um, e-commerce models right and they get their service uh, models correct and their, uh, their product offerings is fine it's, it's really good um, and if they can make it as convenient as, as, as some of these other big kind of potentially national, but definitely uh, multinational uh, corporations. I think consumers are going to want to spend money with those guys. These are the people that are hearts of the community. and They reinvest money back into the local community. And I think if if they can get that right, and I'm sure they will, and I think you'll see a lot of success stories coming out of this as uh, being forged in in the pandemic in the next couple of years. I think you'll see some real good uh, growth stories there. Um, I think I think there's, there's a big opportunity, you know, the price of technology has come down. Um, uh, it, it's easy to integrate stuff now. Um, and as long as they can just get that convenience element right, I think their product and their know-how and their customer service, um, coupled with customers wanting to buy from them um, and their, potentially their ethics and stuff like that, I think uh, that could be a good, uh, good space to watch.
3: That's good sharing that. What about you, Pete?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well I kind
0: of feel I shouldn't talk about mine because mine's, mine's a national brand and I feel like we should, we should give the uh, I feel like end, ending on the independence is quite a good place, a good place to end so um, I think that's a really good message I think one thing that the pandemic has taught me is, is really respect the kind of local local businesses I've, I've definitely been shopping more local Um, in the last sort of 12 months where I can just trying to support businesses where wherever where possible, really so Mike I think that's really really good shout and I've I've often thought um, that a lot of the smaller retailers again I don't mean to small doing any you know discredit but they they can do a lot of things that that like large retailers struggle to do because they can be more agile, more dynamic, and a lot of big retailers can learn a lot off some of these so again s- smaller retailers in, in inverted commerce um, because again they've, they've just, they they just they like you guys do again you should guys speak to your customers like you know mm-hmm. what 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 big retailers will actually pick up the phone and speak to customers it just doesn't happen so I think again yeah, there's a my lot my second lot choice would have been London beds if I didn't choose made. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I feel like that's a uh, quite a good place to wrap this episode up before uh, Mike's cat goes uh, goes bananas anymore. Um, but I, uh, I hope you've all enjoyed.
1: <laughs> I, um, well.
0: <laughs> I do hope you've all enjoyed listening to this as much as I did. It's been a really good, really good laugh tonight. I've really enjoyed it. Um, thank you to our guests for coming on and sharing your thoughts with us. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. To thank you. No, thank you. Cheers.
1: Thanks. thanks,
0: Pete. Uh, one final thing before you go, uh, if you're interested to find out a bit more about acquisition strategies in the home and garden space, I'm going to do a shameless plug right now. Uh, we have a new ebook uh, launching in April uh, all around home and garden, acquisition around home and garden. So keep an eye out for it on all your usual social channels. I've had a sneak peek look at it and there's some really great content in there. So it's out early April. You'll hear more about it on this podcast. And also don't forget, go and download the UK Commerce Discovery Report. I go there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, that's it now from us. Uh, thank you again for listening. Take care, stay safe, and we'll catch you on the next one.
2: You've been listening to Spacebar, a podcast brought to you by Space48. We're a UK-leading CX and e-commerce platform specialist. If e-commerce content's your thing, then please be sure to subscribe to hear more. Do you like what you've
1: heard or is there room for improvement? Please leave us a review and let us know what you think. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.